Hello, this is Graphic Policy Radio. This is Ilana Levin. I am your perpetual host, but I have a special guest host coming for you guys tonight. Because folks have been asking me a lot uh, when I'm going to get around to covering the Hawkeye series um, on Disney+. And would you believe I haven't watched it yet? But coming to the rescue is frequent guest and collaborator John Arminio. He has a whole episode for you right now with two fabulous returning graphic policy guests, where they'll be talking about the Hawkeye comics uh, by David Asia and Matt Fraction, as well as the popular TV series. And I didn't have to lift a finger. So please share a warm welcome to our guest host, John Arminio, and our first string guests talking about our favorite second string Avenger. And I'll be back with you soon. Greetings, pizza connoisseurs and archery aficionados. This is Graphic Policy Radio, a comics podcast that remembers some of the very first villains superheroes fought against were predatory landlords and the capitalist structures that support them. I am your guest host, John Arminio. Your regular host, Elon Levin, graciously lent me the space to talk about comic books after I just wouldn't stop babbling on social media about how much I love these Hawkeye stories. So I want to extend my gratitude to her and everyone at Graphic Policy for the opportunity to talk comics with some great guests. Speaking of which, joining me are two wonderful people who agreed to do me this great favor of being on this podcast with me. First, Scott Thoreau is a Brooklyn-born social worker currently based in Baltimore. He's a brilliant musician and podcaster and can be heard on the Zebras in America podcast with co-host Marcus Pint. Hi, Doug. Uh, <laughs> hi, Doug. Uh, welcome, Scott. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And Kat Overland is the small press editor at the two-time Eisner-winning WWAC, Women Write About Comics, where she also writes criticism, reviews, and tweets. She also has bylines at Shelf Dust, Daily Beast, Comics MNT, and more. A mid-30s Latina in D.C., in non-pandemic times, you can find her cosplaying as America Chavez and buying old Generation X comics at conventions. Currently, you can hear them on Untitled Talkies podcast discussing Gundam Wing and the history of fandom on the internet. Welcome, Katz. Hi. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be back at Graphic Policy for another wait, episode. Wait, you have a Gundam podcast? I do have a Gundam Wing. It's just Gundam Wing. Oh, my God. I know, That's like Gundam Wing is like when I was... Uh, Sorry, John. When no I was <laughs> when I was uh, a high school dropout, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I looked forward to every day when Gundam Wing was going to be on Toonami. Me yeah. and my me and my best friend would just like, uh, you know, do stuff that teenagers did, and then talk about like how awesome the show was. And then when we would go to Manhattan to like anime anime stores and like manga stores, we'd be told like that's not like the real Gundam. I'm like, y'all don't get it. We, um, <laughs> like it, it is and it's awesome i can't well, wait i can't wait to listen to your podcast what, oh, what's awesome it? I, I hope you like it and i'd also recommend um mecha nations um we've retweeted them a couple times it's like a overall gundam podcast yeah i'm just i'm a weirdo i like two i like three mech things i like uh fully Cooley, evangelion and gundam wing i'm simple like that what can i say Giant space robots, what's not to love? And existentialism and yeah. the, the gray areas of war. I'm, I'm sorry, I derailed already, but that's what that's what I sort of do. I assume you're going to like edit our asides, right? Um, or do you just go straight? This is staying in the episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, cool. But the, the reason we're here, I mean, we could just talk about 
uh, Japanese space robots and existentialism for an hour. But uh, the reason we're here is because of pretty much the Hawkeye streaming tiers on Disney Plus, and I do like it. Um, and I certainly don't want to trash it or anything. Uh, that's not what we're here for. Um, it just for me couldn't compete with the sort of medium expanding brilliance of the 2012 Hawkeye run. And usually referred to as the Matt Fraction, David Aja run, but also has significant contributions from Annie Wu, Francisco Francavilla, Javier Polito, colorist Matt uh, Hollingsworth, and letter uh, Chris Elopoulos. And obviously the show does have some uh, issues with properly crediting the source material here, as especially as Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung created the character Kate Bishop and they get a nice uh, royalty-free special thanks uh, <laughs> in the credits. Yeah, and uh, David Aja definitely tweeted, so we know he was not even given yeah. the perfunctory five grand check that they sent Oof. at Brubrecker for Winter Soldier, which, to me, like, yeah, take that money, but, like, kind of a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, like, th- especially for superhero books, nothing, at least before this time, looked like or read like uh, this Hawkeye series. Um yeah. It's pretty uh, perfunctory to call it gr- gr- groundbreaking, but yeah, yeah, David, I, I deserve so much credit for that. Yeah, I mean, you can't really talk about the great mid-aughts and tens mm-hmm. Marvel and the, the good Marvel stuff without... You can't do it without Brubaker. You can't do it without Fraction. You also can't do it without Bendy's, but really, Fraction and... And Brubaker were just hitting it out of the park. And the art of Aja with this, I mean, I have so many thoughts, but you, oh, I get so excited. Thank well, you for having me. I'm, fan, <laughs> I'm fanning out. Awesome. Well, Scott, when did you first uh, encounter uh, this Hawkeye run? Do you remember? I do. I do. Um, I was very obsessed with, in the in the early aughts, you, I reconnected with the big two comic books, mostly through the three major Marvel uh, young person books. You had the Runaways, you know, where the children of villains trying to save the world and grow into their own. And then you had Kyle, Kyle and Yost's work on the X-Men, where we got X-23, Hellion, the, the, a contextualization of the Cuckoos, Dust, Elixir, Prodigy, who's like super awesome. And just like recon- recontextualizing Marvel as a the, the X-Men characters as kids and what kids with like super duper powers could do. And then there was the new Avengers, which just young Avengers, excuse me, not the new Avengers, not to be confused, the young Avengers for which we were introduced to Kate Bishop and my favorite Captain America character, um, the Patriot, you had... Yeah, like some of the the greatest characters. And then I took a little hiatus from comic books. And then I was at a party and my friend Jake from Ridgewood was like, dude, this Hawkeye run is is wild. You have to check it out. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, uh, this isn't going to be good. Like Hawkeye's like just like this dude. Like, I guess he was cool in the Thunderbolts. But like, what is his deal? He's like good at hitting things and like. He's kind of like Daredevil, but with purple. And he was like, "He was like, nah, dude, just just trust me, you're gonna love it." And and then I picked it up and immediately was caught by the artwork and and yeah, 
my favorite city comic book stories have the city as one of the main characters. Like, why is Gotham PD, like, one of the best comic books of the past 30 years? Because the main character is Gotham. And when you have, like, uh, Ex Machina was so good because the main character is really the beating heart of the city. The, the neighborhoods and the characters of the city in this run mixed with the, the psychedelic and experimental expo- expositions of the drawing, the writing, and the storytelling, plus doing, like, everything that, like, Garth Ennis tried to do with his run on Punisher, but, like, not like a sociopath, <laughs> you know, like, just blew me out of the way. And rereading it this month and crying literally also i've had a rough month but just like crying and good comic books good media does that to you and i'm sure we'll go into the reasons why but yeah i was so good you know i'd i'd never thought about the punisher as that sort of garth ennis connective tissue to matt fraction but that actually makes a lot of sense because his war zone stuff exactly and I'm sure we're going to get into this, but I also love how this series has that New York, Brooklyn as a character, and then just effortlessly shifts to an L.A. book Absolutely. for several issues. And yeah, who who can do a New York and an L.A. book at the same time? And anyway. correctly and stylistically, yeah. like you have this Beach Boys story in L.A. that feels like super what you might find in some of the cooler parts of the invisibles by grant morrison on their run and then you like yeah it's just it's tone perfect yeah. and uh cat what about you how did you first encounter uh, this hawkeye pretty similar i read comics growing up um because my dad is a big comic fan and i was really like to the teen um like the jeff johns teen titans was like my book in high school nice. Nice. um beyond some of the indie stuff that i was reading because i was really pretentious um, but I took a break in college because I did not have the money <laughs> to continue reading comics when my dad wasn't getting them. So uh, I had read the Young Avengers stuff, um, and that's like a team that I love. But I was really excited to hear about the reboot um, because I'd already gotten into like Wiktiv and stuff. Around that time, I was able to like pay for comics again. <laughs> Um, like I had a job in grad school um, that could uh, like afforded some luxuries, so I uh, I got back into it and I started reading the the, fra- the sorry the Gillian McKelvey run on Young Avengers and was immediately obsessed with America Chavez and her flirtations with Kate Bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, like you heard, I do, I do a fandom podcast, so I am like a shipper. But as a Latina and a queer one, America Chavez was fucking phenomenal. Like, it was just so cool. She was so cool. She instantly had that amazing aesthetic. Um, and so I started cosplaying her. And that's kind of how I got into the Hawkeye series, because I was already really invested in these characters and Kate Bishop. And was reading re- comics regularly enough to get, like, recommendations. Um, this is a few years before I joined Women Write About Comics. So <laughs> um, I was still not as plugged into, like, the comics internet at the time, I guess. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I started reading it, and it was just so phenomenal. 
And the more I was getting into comics, the more my friends were asking me for recommendations. So this would always be the go-to recommendation, too. Um, I think it also sort of coincided with a a new comic book shop in Washington, D.C. So, like, I have a lot of really fond memories of the time period of that run and my time in comics. And where is that store in D.C.? I I just moved to Baltimore, but I'm always trying to find new spots. Uh, Well, Third Eye in Baltimore is amazing. Yeah. Um, but Phantom Comics uh, was a hangout. That's actually where I met my partner at a Halloween party. So, and oh, we amazing. both we independently were cosplaying Kate and America. So, <laughs> sort of worked out. Perfect. Um, but yeah, Phantoms in Dupont, and oh, there's great. also Big Planet in DC um, that's on like U Street. But there's also one in College Park. Oh, wonderful! Thank you. I've I'm just starting to go into the world again and yeah. it's really important for me to you know I got into a very nice but but mm-hmm. there I got into a nice conversation with John when we were preparing when I was preparing for the episode where I was like hey like do you have a recommendation for like where I can you know download this to read on my on my tablet and then I realized I was saying this to someone who works at a brick and mortar comic book store so if you've <laughs> So, you know, John has been working at a brick and mortar comedy comic store for a long time and been doing so during the pandemic. And then he was a sweetheart and a mensch about it. But then I was like, you know what? That was whack. So then like I, I went, I didn't know about the store that you just mentioned. So I just went to Atomic Books and was like, do you have, do you have Hawkeye? And they were like, yes. And then I accidentally spent $200 on books. And I felt really great because I was, I was, you know, putting cash into the neighborhood for brick and mortar stores that aren't run by super villains. That is like the, like the, the most capitalistic benefit of the pandemic is like, you can really justify a lot of those small shop, small purchases. Like, Oh, I'm supporting them. I, feel I need really, more comics. Right. I feel really good about spending a hundred dollars at a store that's been making sure that their workers are, have jobs and like following safety protocols. I feel really good about it. And even though like I'm super lefty, we exist in the, we, I have to exist in the world that I exist in, mm-hmm. but because I believe that we should abolish rent, there are parts of this story that I really like that I'm just giving a little foreshadow <laughs> of, you know? Yeah. Well, Scott, it's a uh, absolutely no worries. It, you're the mensch. Um, but I think that what you're talking about is exactly why I think any sort of local bookstore of any kind is kind of magical, is that you can j- just get lost for hours and find books that you may never get to in your lifetime, but just make you excited to read anything. That's what, it was kind of actually a bonus of rec- getting to recommend comics, because I think really the 2010s had a sort of resurgence in more mainstream media covering stuff, especially with the... like really popular image books at the time. So more people were like, Kent, you like comics. So I got to introduce them to like a really good comic and a cool store, like, like a cool community. So. And I I think what is really special about this Hawkeye run is that whether you are new to comics or have been reading comics all your life, I think there's something to to the story and to the way it's presented that can really hook you like it's something like if it communicates so viscerally to the reader that somebody who's not familiar with the way comics read 
um, are not going to get confused with the way, like, to, to read the panels, because I know that's a barrier for some people. They just don't know, like, where to go or where to put their eye on the page, but I don't think there's ever a point where you're confused about where to look in this book. But I think if you've been reading comics for 50 years, you can look at it and be like, wow, the cartooning technique in this thing is amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's a really fascinating point um, that I don't think I really ever considered when I was recommending it, is that it's like so beloved by comics people because of that high level technique, right? Um, and the sort of like pushing the boundaries of what we're doing with like the graphic narrative going on and action sequences especially, but like the visual literacy that you might need for some other comics is not necessarily required. That's, right. that's really fascinating. Sorry if I just no, missed awesome. your point. I'm just like really fascinated by this. It, it rewards you whether you're new to the medium or whether you've interacted with the medium. And I think the best art it mm-hmm. is is intersectional in that way where if you you can either just like rip it to shreds as an as a, a new person or also just understand the subtext and understand like the little nods and and see the things because like I love the the art deco art nouveau vibes and you know i love that it's got this noir sense but it also has these these issues that almost remind me of like chris ware who like uh you know oh, yeah who's like one of the great visual storytellers of our time jimmy corrigan is like if you want to cry it's just one of the great graphic novels ever made i said it it's like it's like a movie and that sequential style is done here and i i want to jump to a bunch of stuff but but john do you want to help us sort of say what is this story yeah sure this run of hawkeye is really about um what clint barton does when he's not an avenger uh you know clint barton it's sort of a goofy premise for a superhero he's really good at archery um so you know, like Green Arrow, but without the billions of dollars and more um, personality issues. Uh, but it really gets to the heart, in, in my opinion, about, you know, how much of a hero he is and how much he tries to do the right thing and how plain his sense of morality is. Like, he clearly knows what the right thing to do is when it comes to other people's lives. Sometimes his own actions fall short of what we would want. Um when it comes to his interpersonal relationship, at least. But he really puts his life and his body on the line for people that he doesn't even know. And that's really, you know, a com- compelling in a hero like this. So, I, you know, what? I'll open the floor. What do you think makes Clint a, a hero in, in this book? Oh, I was going to say, like, I love this book because Clint kind of sucks. And yeah. he's a hero. Like, yes, that's, yes. It's sort of uh, that dichotomy that he's just a guy just trying to do his best, but maybe not always trying his, like, he's trying his best, but maybe what he's doing is not always the best thing. Um, But, like, he just keeps going, Um, I guess. Like, I think that's kind of the theme of the book, right? In some ways, that continuation like right. the fact that he continues. Yeah, he's he's this guy who can make any shot with a bow and arrow, but he can't even pour himself a cup of coffee without 
spilling it. So he just <laughs> drinks out of the, the jug. And he's a mess, and he's not really good at interpersonal relationships. Like another New York character that's good at fighting Daredevil, he's not a great boyfriend, and he is just feels guilty about the mistakes that he's made, and he's a character that's been around for a very long time, almost like a combination of right, like Green Arrow and the Grayson family and like a uh, bad guy turned good guy. And I was lots... like a little bit of Peter Parker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the Barton Locke definitely mm-hmm. is, a th- mm-hmm. is a thing here. Right. And lots of retcons. And by the time this has happened, he was destroyed. He was killed by um, Wanda Maximoff in Avengers Disassembled. He was brought back to life in House of M., he was going around in the Ronin suit for a long time before Echo became Ronin. And then he found out that Kate Bishop was under the guise of Hawkeye. And then mm-hmm. he took his bow back. And then she was like, nah, son, give me that. And she took it back. And then they and then she they are both Hawkeye. So by the time you're having this dichotomy, you have like Hawkeye who's just like, who am I? Am I a shitty person? But like, I love dogs. <laughs> I I found out that these the predatory landlord is going to take advantage of my of the people that live in my house and even though I don't really like them all that much I also kind of love them and don't want them to be homeless. Right. And they're the only people who can stand me and maybe like me. So Right. <laughs> and yeah. Um yeah, it's sort of like his mantle had already been passed. So it was a really interesting time to really focus on him as a character too. After all of this. And I love that he has passed on the mantle, um, but he's, at least at this point in his life and in his story, he's over being jealous of Kate Bishop. Like, in yeah. issue, like, two or three, he, he looks at her and be like, this is Kate Bishop. I love everything about her. She's great. Look at how magnificent she is. And so I love entering this story admiring Kate Bishop as much as Clint does. And right. I... I is it so, okay to pivot to the show a little? Sure. Um, just because I, this was, um, I really liked the show and I really liked Haley Stanfield. Like she yes. was an amazing Kate and she really embodied the character very well. But like what I, I'm still not over, um, even though I think I, it was definitely one of the top tier Marvel shows. Um, is sort of how they took that away. The um the the way they sort of came at it, maybe not as equals, but she had already been been superheroing, maybe a little. You know, she had already started off on her own. In the um, comic book. Yeah, yeah, in the comic book. Um so it was like he's sort of mentoring her, but she's also mentoring him back. And right. he respects her for that. Like he understands that and it's it feels a little too one-sided, um, even with how great Kate is on the show, for me. I agree. And I th- it really, it's it really kind of diminished, like diminishes what I loved about this relationship. <laughs> it, it puts them on unequal footing. It diminishes a lot by not having Kate already. I agree with you, because Kate established as this badass, like uh, smart talking, real. Uh, person who's just like really good at shit and and intelligent 
and mm-hmm. sardonic and knows her worth and is going into this world. But but I but you know the Hawkeye in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is really way more based off of the Ultimates version of Hawkeye. And a lot of the char- the early characterizations were sort of mingling with the ultimate character. And the ultimate Hawkeye is is not that interesting and just tragic. Asshole. Yeah. And like the Oh ultimate- yeah, really tragic. Um I I honestly kept waiting for them to pull some of that into I, the yeah. MCU, but Oof. I guess the MCU is a little too nice. Right, because the 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 character the ultimate universe for which a lot of the early characterizations some some they pick and choose yeah. uh, in the MCU. The Hawkeye is closer to that one, and his family have a very terrible fate at the hands of, I believe, Black Widow and her and her squad of the Anti Ultimates. Yeah, you know, going back to it, I'm going to say it. I think the Ultimates is kind of overrated. <laughs> How many times do do we have to present like superheroes as like shitty toxic people when in reality like most superheroes the non alternate versions are like when you look at them and contextualize them and look at it when I try to unpack these characters from my sorry I'm putting on my nerd hat my like anarcho communist um, leanings none of these characters work for me as like people they're all incredibly flawed but so I don't need like this thing where like we're going to do Captain America, but he's terrible. Like, I already, which is, which is ironic because I think Captain, the Captain America characters are like some of the most that I mess with because of their view of like their idealization of, of politics or whatever. But sorry, I got, I got into word soup. I just get, I got so excited. And, and that's, that's what we miss in that dyad between uh, the characters in the show. Yeah. I think, um, man, and MCU Clint really had an uphill battle, I think, because they were pulling so heavily from Ultimates and they, he didn't really have anything to do until Avengers. And then it's like, Hey, the super popular take on this character exploded. And so this is, like the show in some ways is a really interesting experiment and in seeing if you can reconcile all of these different characterizations, I think. Um, and yeah, I think it's also a function of the the comic book industry, at least from my perspective, because I, I work in comics and I see new comics on the shelves every week. Like the ultimate universe at this point is just so like in the rear view. Like it's to, yeah. to me, it's ancient history. Um, and the only even remnant of it is the fact that Miles Morales is in the mainstream Marvel Universe now, which is awesome. Um, I mean, like, if you were going to save something. <laughs> y- yes, yeah, yeah, save Miles. Um, but it, it is sort of, you know, troubling in the show to try and reconcile the Hawkeye we know from the, this this comic with the Hawkeye we've seen in the MCU because, you know, during the snap in the MCU, he becomes Ronan and is like a serial killer. Right. He's he's just murdering people left and right with the sword because he's sad in the rain. But, you know, everybody else on the planet has suffered the same loss as he did. And then he yeah. just sort of, like, casually regrets. He, 
He, he doesn't feels even sad about it. Yeah, he, he, it's of. not like he regrets what he did. He just doesn't want anybody else to find out about it. it really, in the in the show, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's like I like a character who sucks, but I don't like a character that sucks like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really. I can. I can mess. I really like Kate Bishop's characterization in the MCU. I mm-hmm. feel connected to her. I'm really excited to find out what's going on with her mom and and yeah. their uh spoilers uh how they you know reintroduced kingpin into the mcu and and the cast of characters Swordmaster. oh i when when oh my god <laughs> yeah right okay when they when they when we realized who girls was gills was mm-hmm. i i actually texted john i was like i don't know if i can do this because i think one of the strongest I mean, there's so many great episodes in this in this run, but there's an issue where Hawkeye helps one of his tenants, Gills or Grills, Grills, who, yeah, Grills, who calls him Hawkeye, not Hawkeye, mm-hmm. uh, help his dad um, with with their house in the Far Rockaway before Hurricane Sandy comes. Yeah, I was really thinking about that issue when I was watching it because it's just like. We're never going to get that side. Like, that's the part of the comic that they didn't seem that interested in integrating. Like, uh, right. they want the visual panache and some of that humor and charm, but maybe not so much the the really in-depth emotional exploration. Yeah, I don't think they do. Because they have, they have the comedy of the, of the, um, the tracksuit mafia and even the tracksuit mafia are self-referential where they make this joke where like, bro, are we the Royal Tannenbaums, bro? Or like whatever, <laughs> like, but to not have that emotional depth. Yeah. It, it's, it's erasure of the things that we like about it. The human story, you know, and it, it's, it's also the difference between him and, you know, a guy, if we're going to talk like, like Hal Jordan uh, in the nineties, when his city gets destroyed, he becomes parallax. I mean, eventually he gets retcon, but like, but Hawkeye just like is like, let's. He's a superhero who's who's like shot aliens with trick bows, but he's like, I'm going to help you board up stuff, and yeah. no, and knowing that that we're not going to have that story because this yep. Clint Barton in the MCU just wouldn't be able to do that. We don't do that, and mm-hmm. then, and then you know when the character clown just like wantonly kills this character you i was like i was tearing up yeah it's it really yeah. hits hard yeah it's it's such an emotional moment and a, and a tragedy because we've seen clint bond with that character and so we're able to bond with him too and and that, that is something really difficult in comics as somebody who has to sell comics to customers any new character is difficult to to sell to people and for us to just you know, fall in love with this guy who calls him Hawkeye. Like it's it's such a he's such an adorable character, and, and to lose him so brutally, and in a non-exploitative way, you know, it's it's such a compelling read. And you know, in, instead of turning into Parallax, Clint is a guy who, at the risk of his own body and soul, tries harder and or gets less sleep. Um, and yeah, I wish we could have, or, you know, seen him try and fail to hook up his AV cables to, so his neighbors can watch a Christmas special. Right. And those are the little things that just, 
change the difference between like something special and something that's just like regular. Comics critic and writer Sherilyn Eaton talks on Twitter a lot about like the differences between your like Avenger sized heroes, like Captain America sized heroes and your street level heroes and how you can use utilize those street level heroes to tell like more of those allegorical stories or ones that are sort of tied more to the real world and how this and um, as I was sort of prepping for this podcast, I was really thinking about how Fracton and Aha et al. use Hawkeye as a street-level hero, like really world outside your window, like your shitty landlord won't fix your house and is going to try to sell it to some developers kind of stuff um, through the superhero lens. Um, and yeah, it's sort of like... It just wasn't ever going to translate to the MCU, but no. it sort of feels like worse than that. Like, I'm just going to keep bringing it up that they're not paying anybody, except I think Matt Fraction got pulled on as consultant, but not because like Marvel hired him straight off the bat as a consultant. Like he got pulled in because he knew somebody. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, um, even like the, the, uh, the credit sequence is mm-hmm. pulled straight from the comic. I, I don't think any of the graphic designers who worked for Marvel in 2012 got paid for Disney stealing that logo. Right. And like the, the, the purple Chevron, like that's so iconic. And I, I know it's work for hire, but it's just like, y'all have the money for this. Yeah. Um, and if you're gonna sort of mine, like kind of sand it all down, the least you could do is pay the people that did the work to make it popular enough for you to have a Hawkeye show. Is especially in a, comic where the villains are malevolent developers who are trying to bulldoze and flatten out this neighborhood. Right. It sucked to lose that plot line. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was sort of like, okay, I like this, but Hawkeye really felt a lot more now, urgent, rooted in the real world, in right. that sense. Um, and it, it did a good job of really scope, like, why would this dude be in the Avengers if he's just some guy? But it really also hammered home that he is some guy like i really liked that both of those lenses on clint barton are Mm. correct right Um, he's just some guy he's also like mad nice with weapons mm. the scene where we were introduced to grills um gills is made me laugh because of an inside joke with my friends because he goes to like a ren fair where there's this also larping and Mm -hmm. He's looking for the Ronin costume, and this guy has the Ronin costume. And he's like, look, if you just let me kill you and let me look good in the LARP, I'll give it to you. But And, like, Hawkeye's going around, like, just killing everybody with the foam swords. And it reminds me of a story of my one of my friends growing up. Him and his brother did Kali fighting, which is like a Filipino martial art with sticks. Oh, cool, yeah. It's super awesome, and... One time they they were just walking in a park and they saw some people doing doing some LARP stuff and they mm-hmm. were they were like, Hey, do you guys want to be in our LARP fight? We need two people. But then they got <laughs> then they got really mad because they were just like really nice. They were really good at sword fighting. They've been doing this martial art and they were just like killing everybody. And it was this kind of fun thing and it was something that just like brought me a lot of joy. And I think something that makes these comics really human is I remember when Luke Cage joined the new Avengers, Mm -hmm. 
his thing was, I will join the Avengers if when we're not saving the world, we're helping out neighborhoods, we're handing out turkeys, we're mm-hmm. being part of the neighborhood. So I hope that maybe, since they're clearly bringing back some of the Netflix characters, that mm-hmm. maybe they can, you know, revisit Luke Cage and and sort of piecemeal this idea of the human side of the the neighborhoods and the characters mm-hmm. and the family connections. And I, I wonder how they'll deal with Clint's brother, who plays a big part in um, in this in 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 the run. I feel like they're probably like I don't know. I feel like Clint's got so many people in the MCU already, and right. that sort of also is interesting because Hawkeye, the comic, is very much about all of these lingering historical connections that he's had versus the show where it's like I don't know. I never really felt that connected to Clint being a family man. Can't say that I really ever did anything for me. Um, my secret headcanon has always been that Clint Barton's family in the MCU are life model decoys that Fury set up to like keep him happy and compliant, but that's just me. That's but not I do love Lynn- I love Linda Cardinelli, so I'm glad mm-hmm. she got some stuff to do, but uh, I think it really just like obviously it changes the character, but it's um it shifted it so much to me from him being like searching for roots and connection um amongst like the people that live in his building like that are his community members not just like cops that he's working with (laughs) um and like his ex ghosts of ex-girlfriends past and how he could like repair or maybe not repair but you know like going back to those sort of relationships and like, I don't know. They try to build, like, this sort of history between him and his wife, and I, it didn't really do much for me. Right, like, she was in S.H.I.E.L.D. and, you know. Yeah. Like, that was cool, but she still just was on the phone, you know? Yeah, a lot of sad wife on the phone scenes for a t- actress who's too talented for for that. Right, I'm like, okay, you better let her do some really cool shit if this yeah. gets... Um, I'm wondering if they're going to, I doubt they're going to bring Bobby in from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So part of me is wondering if she would be Mockingbird, but, but then they pulled in Kingpin. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I, the fact that his, his crew were not cops and were just people Mm -hmm. was like something that was very, I didn't realize. (laughs) Um, Yeah. There are. Yeah. Like. There are no cops, basically, yeah. in the comic, because cops are not interested in the plight of abused tenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Like, the authoritarian systems have already failed all of them. Mm-hmm. They're very, like, it's street level <laughs> Yeah, they do, they do not care about this stuff. And, like, gentrification, look, c- cops often are just the bodyguards of the rich, and gentrification helps rich people, people selling, you know, that's the crux of good Daredevil comics. It's the crux mm-hmm. of this comic. It's it's just that, yeah, why would why would they care? Yeah. They don't. Kingpin is in the room with the people making these decisions, you know, the worst person in New York. 
uh, yeah, so that that's the level of you know authority or or moral authority that Fraction Aja and Aja is it Aja or Aha? I'm sorry. So he's from Spain. Um, so technically, it would be David Aha. Ah, okay. Um, but he said on Twitter, people pronounce it every which way, and he mostly just wants to get paid. So. Okay, that's <laughs> I like. I like. I mean, he has like, not said yeah. anything churlish about Hawkeye or anything. I just yeah. It's like, give me my money. And, you um, know, as it, long as he's getting credited. You know? Yeah, and it's it. My fav, one of my favorite Steely Dan albums is Asia. So Asia, whatever. Um, also, like ta- when we talk about the use of like different literary devices in um, in in the book, there's an issue that's just from the point of view of a dog. Yes. There's an issue yeah. that's in American Sign Language. There's the this character Ghost. Like, what do y'all think of all that? I mean, I really love all that stuff. Um, I, I think, especially with the way the series plays with time, there are issues that kind of fold, unfold backwards. Um, there are issues where it references a moment from a previous issue, but from a different perspective. And so, especially in the pizza dog issue, you know, you're going around and Lucky is sort of, investigating everything going on in the building and you know maybe investigating a murder yeah yeah and every so you see things that happened in an earlier issue but now from the doctor's perspective and in a later issue you see these events from barney's perspective and so it just fills out the world in such a charming funny and unique way like it's it was just a masterstroke in my opinion i love the specificity of all of it um bringing in like ASL for that, but having it also be about Clint's relationship with his brother, who is now also just like disabled um, works so well because all of it is really built up. You know what I mean? Like they laid the groundwork and really integrated his deafness into the storyline in a way that made it like that episode, that issue feel in some ways sort of inevitable. Like in this, like when you got there, you were like, ah, yes, this is just another perspective that I already knew was continuing on. Like you said, Scott, like, and John, like the, the temporal stuff and then the perspective shifts. Um, I, I love that um, issue a lot. And I think it also sort of highlights how I don't feel like deafness was integrated quite Mm -hmm. naturally. Like, I mean, it's not like there has to be a narrative reason for him to be deaf Right. And I I don't mean that. I just mean like like in the show it felt like it was sort of used as a device. In oh, the absolutely. comic it really felt like yeah, okay, this makes sense cuz this is what happened. You know, like this is a narr- like a logical conclusion to what we saw in earlier issues. Right. And and the, and that his brother is deaf and then there there and then we are introduced to Echo who's also deaf and the handling of that. I hope I hope the show gives that character the justice that that Echo deserves. Yeah. I think it's great that she's getting a spin-off um cuz she's awesome. It, um, she was so good. I just want more and I want the complexities of the character. Yeah, Alaco Clarks is great and like she is a deaf actress, which is really cool. Um and I really liked that they integrated Clint's deafness into the MCU in a way that made a lot of sense. Um, but it did sometimes feel like, like, here's a, like, it's a plot element, 
more so. <laughs> it didn't feel gimmicky. It could have felt so gimmicky in this comic, you know? Yeah. And it just, uh, it felt like they really were respectful and laid down the groundwork and like artistically really integrated into it. It didn't feel like, okay, now we have to put this in because people are yelling at us on Twitter. Yeah, and I think so much of the comic is just is a subjective viewpoint from Clint's perspective. So it's yeah. so much of it is his experience. And so when he loses his hearing, you know, us as readers lose it as well. And we see him sort of pig headedly like refuse help, refuse even to sign. Um he's you know, as helpless as he is sometimes as a human being, he's also somebody who has a really, really hard time asking for help, especially when he needs it. And so there's a great moment when he, you know, he, he calls, like, his ex-girlfriend or his current girlfriend or, or a woman that he's broken or burned bridges with and asks for help. And he has to ask help for his brother. And, you know, there's some wonderful moments of tragedy flashing back to their childhood where he needs Barney's help to survive that childhood. And so all that stuff... Um, just integrates in, into making you know his his deafness an integral part of of the story and his character. And also, I feel like childhood trauma is the superpower of a lot of male Marvel characters. Sure, childhood trauma, Catholic guilt, you know, pick it. Um, dead parents, dead yeah. parents, you know, a lot of character building, but. Yeah, it never feels um, it ne- never feels overly in- manipulative, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah the, I mean, you if you throw a rock in comic books, you'll hit a dozen tragic childhoods as origin stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is one of the reasons why I love characters like Kamala Khan and Miles Morales because they just want to be good people. <laughs> you know, they, they don't need. <clears throat> enormous tragedies in their childhood as formative experiences they're just like well i've i've inherited these powers in some wacky fashion and so i'm going to help people with it and i think that's cool i also think the brilliance of like third generation fourth generation fifth generation storytelling of comic books is we've accepted the mythology and like other characters take on the mantles of things it's just it's just you get to have better more interesting versions of stuff like miles morales in this day and age just makes sense as who spider-man would be when when dick grayson became batman for a little bit it just made more sense and he was a much better batman because he was a much better person (laughs) just like you know and so when you have your characters like america chavez or patriot or just like people acknowledging the pasts but also being like this is this is who we are. So even when like someone tries to have a bad faith argument with me about diversity in comic books, I'm like, dude, dude like you're ju- you're wrong because if you're saying that you don't want your comic books to be political, then you're already making your statement. You're proving your statement because if you're representing a New York City, it's not going to be five white dudes too two white women and one black person. That's just not um, what New York City looks like. That's not what the world looks like. So like having representation and characters that are interesting, even though which is not so much the case in Hawkeye, which is about two, you know, 
mostly cishet white people, but... Well, so, I, I actually, um, that's, um, like, Haley Stanfield is part Asian, part um, Filipino, I believe. I didn't know um, And I was really surprised that Disney did not go ahead and lean into that. Um, it's weird, be- um, if you notice, Haley Steinfeld is wearing blue contacts in the show, and it's apparently because they cast two, like, blue-eyed actors as their parents, even though her father, spoilers, gets blown up in, like, the first 15 minutes. Um, so I get that maybe they're trying to seed something, but it, it was just, it was very surprising to me, especially now as we are, as it seems like the MCU is gearing up to really focus on these later gen heroes that they wouldn't take that opportunity um, to make Kate Bishop actually like mixed and Asian. I know um, a lot of fans have been fan casting her and reading her as canonically Asian for a long time. Um, So I was, I was disappointed in that. I mean, like not her performance obviously, but it's just surprising they wouldn't take the diversity check when they could, they could have easily done it. I was not aware of that, so thank you. Yeah, I didn't. Even, I didn't even know that. Thank you for for yeah. learning learning me. <laughs> I, you know, um, wow. But while we're talking about Kate, uh, yeah, let's talk about her sojourn into Los Angeles, the the L.A. woman uh, story. Um, you know, when I first re- read this, um, it was probably 2015, I think. But you know, just one of the immediate things that immediately grabbed the hold of me was just I'm a huge movie nerd and to to, to find Elliot Gould uh, make initially a cameo but then this character modeled after him played a pretty integral part uh, into the story just tickled me to no end um, but, but also just Kate on her own you know turning her life into her own sort of trash fire but also trying to do good, you know, putting her life on the line to get an orchid for her neighbor's wedding. Like, uh, all that stuff is is fantastic to me. She's eminently charming, um, you know, makes friends with animals <laughs> the same way Clint does. It's, it's just a great, fun L.A. story. I love Kate, and I love... Um... I love how fun she is. She's mm-hmm. just like a really fun character. And this book was just so fun. The art is so fun. Um, Hollingsworth's colors are amazing. And I love Annie Wu's Kate so much. <laughs> oh, um, what's going on with her right now in the comic books? Like, what's her vibe? What's she doing? Uh, she has a solo that they, I think they finally managed to synchronize a solo to go with a show. Okay. At the same time. <laughs> Big steps. Uh, I but, haven't picked it up yet, though. It seems generally well-received. I was I was really into her and West Coast Avengers. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Kelly Thompson West Coast Avengers and Hawkeye mm-hmm. stuff is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that could be fun. Like, I, I am really wondering if they're going to bring in the Madame Mask stuff, though. Um, like, it would be... Like, it would be so fun to see, like, the next season take place on the West Coast and they could bring in, like, a whole different aesthetic and stuff. But again, it would feel like, oh, stop making me feel conflicted about this. (laughs) Like, I hate it. Disney, just pay them. 
like, so yeah, that I pay the people. Cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, Madame Mask is like that whole storyline. Uh, I did not guess it. <laughs> I yeah. think it was a really good mystery. Yeah, she's an exceptionally creepy villain, and I think you get a lot of menace out of her um, that you don't get from a lot of... I guess you could categorize her as a B-grade villain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, She's certainly not a Doctor Doom. But right. her motivations and her actions and her malevolence are, are just such on her own weird wavelength. You know, this whole story about, you know, spoilers again, about, like, peddling LMDs to Los Angeles people obsessed with being young. Um, That's incredibly creepy. So, yeah, again, another movie reference, but if that interests you, uh, the movie Seconds is amazing. Um, So she's just such a great adversary for somebody like Kate, who's so earnest and so honest. So for somebody whose whole thing is subterfuge and masks and, you know, alternate bodies, I think it just works perfectly. And it's, like, very clever thematically in a series where I think it's very much about finding out what being, in some ways, being Hawkeye and being you is all about. Yes, exactly. And, um, yeah, so, okay, and I'm just wondering, yeah, I feel like they, with the with the MCU, I think they should just sort of do what they're doing instead of, like, trying to build another gigantic thing that they did just have like these tv shows where we're meeting the characters and then if we connect with them opening up you know i i feel sort of silly i didn't even connect um that um that clown was in the show for some reason because he was so underwhelming in the show and so creepy in in the comic book yeah he's Terrifying in the comic book. You you've, you see him in one panel and you never forget it. Yeah. The noir influences there, especially in the AHA art, the shading and, and like the shading. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love that. And sort of, type, I mean, when I think about the book's design and stuff, I also think very much like Saul, Saul Bass. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That influence there too um, that plays out. Wasn't uh, they're just like the synthesis there is so good between Fracton and Aha. I think it's very hard for me to be like the influence of one or the other, you know, very symbiotic. And also, I think I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Brubaker and Bendis Michael? They were both like crime comic writers. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when they were when they they really knocked it out of the park when they took on superheroes. Like they they figured it out. Sometimes people do not translate well. You know, I love I love Star Trek and I love Michael Chabon, but his handling of the first season of Picard didn't really work for me. He understood the characters perfectly, but he wrote but the season overarched like a book and a TV TV is not a book, you know. And when Jonathan Lethem wrote. Uh, I think it was Omni Man wrote a short note. No, that's not the character. He did a he did a Marvel book, and it you know sometimes it just doesn't it just doesn't uh, 
it doesn't translate all the time. So the they really figured it out that they were able to to do everything that people thought Frank Miller did, but actually never was good at any of it. Um, or like, you are coming out swinging on yeah. this podcast. Well, what am I? What am I supposed to do? Uh, <laughs> Oh, no, what else did I say? Am I going to get people mad at me on the internet? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think a comic like this could come out today? In this, um, cause We're talking about this and sort of like the serialization of comics. I think it really, really, really benefited from having a tight first trade. Um, yeah. And they you were know, able to really play on that sequential stuff. So I, w- I wonder about that. You don't really see books get up to like five trades for a solo title these days. Yeah. The only title that has gone that long in recent memory is Immortal Hulk, um, which was uh, go- phenomenal. Well, uh, yeah. Miss Marvel keeps getting renumbered, right? Y- yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm so looking just, forward to Marvel, Miss Marvel. That's going to be rad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Ms. Marvel finally making her way into the MCU. Um, yeah, you know, you really have to be a publisher that trusts your creative team. And even if a title goes on for more than 12 or t- even 24 issues, it's rare that creative teams stay together. Uh, you know, they're switching around artists so often that you know, this sort of cohesive storytelling just can't happen, unfortunately. And it's so important to have that connection. I'm sorry, uh, I think you were about to say something. I interrupted you. Oh, no, I I was going to say, yeah, having AHA be um, all of those first issues really created, like, I mean, it's a signature look. It's so signature that Disney ripped it off. Um, And even when they integrated other artists who put their own spin on things, I think many of them were sort of adhering to like what I think now we would think about as like a Hawkeye aesthetic <laughs> um, and sort of taking that cue from David Aha to really get creative with the action layouts or the paneling or even um, the, the colors and, like every issue are great. So yeah, um, all of the colorists really picking up on all those purple hues and working in like the, like, I just love when they play with the medium, when they use different artists or uh, obvious, I mean, probably right. But y'all remember when they brought back profit, um, the nineties comic, but they redid it starting at issued number 26, like for image comics a couple years ago. Yeah. And they just like, rewrote it to make it make sense but it was it was about different clones of the character and each each clone had a different artist writing it different artist drawing it oh that's cool and it was oh it's one of the greatest sci-fi stories of the past 10 years and um i'm passionate whether it be about how frank miller is overrated and (laughs) and uh how ultimates really isn't that good and that profit is wonderful and just yeah i'm just like i i'm just excited when people tell new stories i think when i i was on graphic policy recently to talk not recently i think a year ago to talk about nocenti's run on daredevil and that run is so much more new york so much more interesting to me than 
than the the Miller Frank Miller Frank the Miller Daredevil stuff, which is which is probably Miller's best thing he did. Yeah, I'm here for your passion and love for the medium, Scott. So thank you for bringing it. I appreciate it. I don't know. At the time, it felt like, wow, comics are really taking off. They're taking risks, you know, like image is popping. Everything is great. And it doesn't really feel like the promise of books like Hawkeye have really been fulfilled across the board. I mean, I guess, like... I am a big X-Men fan. I've been writing a lot of X-Men reviews last year, so I'm sort of not. But that, to me, is sort of like a very unique situation. Mm -hmm. The X-Office is kind of like its own thing. I I do think um, a lot of the DC mini and maxi series have been amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, They're very self-consciously unshackled from continuity and... um, the requirements of putting out a Batman book every week. Um, <laughs> so, like, you know, I roll my eyes every time a new Batman miniseries comes out, but something like Batman the Imposter is amazing. Like, I've never seen a Bruce Wayne so conflicted with his own actions and so vulnerable in that series. Um, the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow from... Uh, Tom King and uh, Bilkos Evely is... That art is amazing. Yeah, that That art... Wow. Yeah, so they're... So, both of those series aren't influenced by Hawkeye, I I don't think, but there still is room in the industry for these really unique takes on these characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think they have to come under the guise of, oh, this is separate. It's not regular comics anymore, which I think is unfortunate. Um, Yeah. Like, but, I, I yeah. can't think of a run that was so uninterrupted, you know? It was sort of like other stuff was happening in the Marvel Universe that Hawkeye could be involved mm-hmm. in, but it wasn't really spilling into the yeah. solo series. Um, I mean, we could talk about Squirrel Girl, which ran for 50-some issues, and I'll talk about that yes. book for a year I or mean, so. But. That, that, to me, also feels very self-contained while still being part of the wider wider Marvel universe, you know? Yeah. Like, nothing about it was contradicting canon at the time, but that didn't mean it had to, like, all of this other stuff spills over. And they didn't they have a pretty tight creative team, too? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was Ryan North and Erica Henderson for, like, the first two-thirds, and then it was Derek Charm with Ryan North for the last third of the book. Do you think he's going to get retconned again? Clint Barton, do you think there will eventually be a comics version of reconciling the MCU version? I mean, I hope not. Like, some of the fun of this book is his trash fire personal relationships, mm-hmm. you know. And the fact is, he he is a himbo. W- women love looking at him. There's a couple scenes where he's taking his shirt off and, you know, eyes ogle. Um, but he, he can't, like... He also has a wandering eye, and he can't keep it in his pants sometimes. Like he's he's like a cute golden retriever, um, and that aspect of his character is something that you know, like a comics sort of need because you need to find ways to create interpersonal conflict and also not hate the character. And so he messes up um, just a little less than Matt Murdock, uh, who might be the worst boyfriend in the Marvel universe. Pretty um, bad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely up there. Yeah. And and so, you know, 
when you have a creative team as talented as you know the crew that had him on on this run, you're you're able to like turn his life into a a shit pile, but also still root for him. Is Frank is Francis Frank Havilla still like? Is he finally coming back to draw some comics again? Um. Oh, he did a great couple issues on the Joker series, actually. Oh. Yeah, and. That. Yeah. So yeah, and his contributions to the series were fantastic. Because you know I'm a huge horror fan. This is, so to see him kind of sort of turn that lens on on the clown was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I have to see. Like, you now? No, the last big two books I read were, um, Uncanny X Force when it was all the adamantium characters, just like coming through and Phantom X, and. Uh, multi the multiversity and i think that's it i also there was a there was avengers team that was run by blue marvel that i was reading for a while but um yeah that was I called think, the oh, ultimates I, I loved alts too that yeah. was so good that ultimates yeah not, uh, not al bad. ewing has been yeah pretty pretty much kills any title he's on yeah it seems um, like now he's He's a writer who, for some reason, is able to get away with doing very twisted versions on characters that we supposedly know really well. Um, yeah, so, and uh, Rom V is, uh, and Saladin Ahmed are two guys who are, like, really hitting out of the park with, like, twisting characters. Yeah, yeah Saladin Ahmed's Black Bolt from several years ago was just... Wow. Yeah, that really was um, totally new insight for me on that. Yeah, character. yeah him and Christian much Ward. like Hawkeye was for me. Yeah. What? Wait. What was? What were y'all's like Clint feelings before this book? Mine uh, were nothing because yeah. I'm not really an adventurous person. So. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I think I, I thought he was a a purple archer, and I hadn't really read anything that was very compelling. Um, maybe that's my my own fault, my own short sightedness. But yeah, this is a book that really made me fall in love with the character. Yeah, I, I I liked Thunderbolts when it came out in the late '90s, and I liked when he died because I thought it was cool, and I was annoyed when he came back because I didn't want Kate Bishop to not be Hawkeye. Yeah. So, I was all right with it, and now they've created him as as a character that is very interesting and yeah i i we'll see i mean i I really haven't been keeping up with much comic books these days except for i really like the teenage mutant ninja turtles comics that have been coming out for the past like eight years yeah yeah those yeah yeah, idw has been really uh killing with with those they've been very consistent very good they just really understood the characters and were able to do a thing that's very much its own thing and isn't unnecessarily violent or mean, but it makes sense and the characters do stuff and it's New York because I grew up in New York and you know I, I remember the New York that the Daredevil comics used to talk about and I remember the New York that the Hawkeye comics talk about and those then the fact that right now New York is very much like that in some places there's in uh the the pandemic and the the there's like a hopelessness and nihilism in New York City right now that is very sad to see hmm. so 
It's, yeah. It can be, yeah. So what makes a comic very New York? I'm from Houston. Nobody draws comics about that, so... Um. Although I was going to say, Scott, as an aside, did, have you read Sophie Campbell's Glory since you mentioned Prophet? No. Should I? Yeah. Okay. Especially if you like her Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. I do. I, do, I just never heard of... I've, I... It's uh, it's kind of the same thing as the Prophet one, where they, uh, um, like, they just started again. <laughs> but now she's like this huge warrior alien buff lady. It's great. This is awesome. This looks awesome. Sophie Campbell Glory? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're, yeah, yeah. This totally looks like right up my alley. I, I've, I love Sophie Campbell, but I've never read that, so I'll have to put that on my yeah. to-read list. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you. But yeah, yeah really, what makes... Uh, if you can smell the sewer when reading the comic book, it's very New York. When the When you understand the writing, when you can sort of tell, like, the the character the the tracksuit mafia are a very caricatured version of a certain type of Eastern European person that lives in New York. But it comes from like I grew up with a lot of people from Eastern Europe who who were first generationers moving to New York who talk like that. But again, not exactly like that. Is it's definitely a caricature, but. When the characters, yeah, just just talk about stuff. They talk about streets that actually exist. Um, you could just, yeah, I guess that's, that's a very good question. You can feel it in the coloring. You can feel it in, in the vibe. What, there's there's a scene where in Nocenti's Daredevil where Kingpin is just playing tennis and talking about how he hates Christmas. And for some reason, you're like, this could only happen in New York. <laughs> Um, smell is it's all really factory yeah point. it does feel like hawkeye was a comic with like smells like when he was all beat to shit after like days out in the rain like that dude looked like he smelled yeah I think barney actually calls him out at one point yeah he's like, like he's like drinking milk from a milk carton and barney <laughs> says he smells or even in the opening issue when he when clint's carrying lucky soaking mm-hmm. wet into the vet's office you can smell that wet dog and in that animal stank vet office it yeah i totally agree well on that um charming image (laughs) uh do any of you have any uh final thoughts on this uh wonderful character defining run on hawkeye uh i feel like i should pick up one of the new the new hawkeye title like, I, I kind of lost track of Clint after I read uh, Occupy Avengers, which is really unfortunately named, but a pretty okay yeah. book. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I hope that the show really encourages people to check out um, the source, the sources, um, some of the different touchstones. Uh, I was talk- saying to John before we started recording, I was checking out... Um, a Hawkeye book that Matt Fracton said was the reason, like he had read this book growing up and it was the reason that he was like, yeah, a Hawkeye book. So it was the Hawkeye solo series from 1983. Um, and I have to look up his name again. Sorry. Um, 
why is the Marvel website this way? Um, by Mark Grunwald. Um, so the oh, Hawkeye, okay. the Hawkeye solo series from 1983 by Mark Grunwald. He did the art and the writing. Um, and I was actually really shocked um, at how much influence that it's, it feels like there is. There's even like, it feels like there's some visual basis or some visual influence from this solo series to the David Aha one. Um, so I think people should check it out. It's on Marvel Unlimited. I don't know that if there's a trade paperback of this four issue limited series. Um, but if so, please buy it from your local comic book shop. Yeah. Scott, any uh, last thoughts? Um, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to find you know we and you have been talking about podcasting for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and it was a it was a pleasure to to really break bread with both of you today and uh yeah check it out and also go to a comic book store the algorithm is fun and all and there's a lot of cool stuff you can find on the internet but a lot of us our our lives were changed because we went to a store and we found something by accident or someone recommended us something cool or you were looking for a book that was in the b section and something from the c section was in there for some reason and you found it and you're like, oh, let me find out this thing. So go to a comic book store and and ask them, hey, is there something cool? And most people will be happy to help you. And if they're not, go to a different store because we, we don't need gatekeeping nasty people. And also, I think there's less of them maybe that we think about and that angry people are much louder than enthusiastic and nice people. I, I love when somebody who is new to comics comes into my store. I don't care what movie or show brought them in. If, if somebody doesn't even know how comics work, if, if they've never seen a Batman before, I'm into it. I want to educate people. It's wonderful. Um, See? Yes. And, and, and if you're staying safe, my, my local shop um, will mail you yes. stuff, so you can probably call them up Yes. and chat. Yeah, um, most most stores will meet you outside or, you know, yeah, do whatever feels comfortable for you. It's in I live in Baltimore. It's all the books, all the comic book stores are masked on um, mm-hmm. unless they're serving food. And then they usually request a, a vaccine card. And if that's something that you're comfortable with eating or, you know, give it a shot. If not, yeah, again, it's just saying like there's so much awesome. There, there's ways to do it. And. You know, the shipping on Amazon isn't even that good these days. Like it, it's, <laughs> it, it's the juice is not worth the squeeze. When yep. these, when these brick and mortar stores, if they close, they will not be reopened to be stores that are awesome. They won't. They will be. They will be. Real estate stores or cell phone stores or stuff that we don't need. And do um, not. Do not. Get rid of the weirdos selling us cool stuff. Sorry I'll be a for weirdo for you. forever. No. Um, but speaking of uh, social, political, economics, um, if the tone of Hawkeye interests you, I cannot recommend highly enough the new series uh, One Star Squadron by Mark Russell and Steve Lieber. Um, it's the most insightful take on the gig economy um, I've, I, I can remember reading, and it's about superheroes. Um, and Lieber also contributed to Hawkeye, right? Um, no, but he did work with Fraction on the Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, right. Look, that's amazing. 
um, that if you've listened to Graphic Policy for more than one episode, you probably heard Ilana he talk about he, it. He drew half an episode. Ah, uh, okay. Half an issue. Uh, oh, all right. Sorry, I, I, I pulled the books out, and I was no. like, is that, that's not Steve Lieber's name? It is. Okay. okay. Well, then, sorry to interrupt. No, I, no, Wait, I, what's the, what's I appreciate the comic it. called again? Uh, uh, there's I, One Star Squadron by Mark Russell, and Steve Lieber is the gig economy one, and then Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen is by Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Definitely, I think, zany in the same way, but, like, more. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But also, also as heartfelt. Yeah. Yeah. What Um, are some... A little more online, because Hawkeye's not online. Yeah, what are some other, uh, what are some other books that you would recommend to people that liked this, that want more like Hawkeye? That, that was a good, that was a good segue uh well the uh those books i just mentioned also yeah anything by kelly thompson where she tackles uh kate bishop kate bishop or west coast avengers um uh i loved uh the seeds oh yeah, the yeah, seeds yeah by david ah by david aha and Anne Rossetti. so two names we talked a lot about today so it's very dystopic but really cool the art is predictably gorgeous so yeah, and um, if we're just doing the uh, Six Degrees of Separation, um, you know, Matt Fraction did uh, Sex Criminals with Chip Zdarsky. Um, and if you like a really kind of sort of groundbreaking take on a character, uh, Chip Zdarsky's Howard the Duck is great. Um, another pretty zany but also very heartfelt superhero story. It's really hard for me to think of, like, a comparable book off the top of my yeah, head, though. Yeah. It has, like, such a beautiful synthesis of writer and artist. Yeah. Completely. Um, yeah, I was just being like selfish if, for, you know, my own reasons for new no, stuff to read. Yeah. Like, if you haven't read um, the Gillen McKelvey Young Avengers, I think it does some cool meta stuff. I have. I'm I'm a Young Avengers stan. Yeah, you, you have. <laughs> for the people out at home. Um, but like cool twists on, hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the current, um, uh, Iron Man actually is, is great by uh, Christopher Canwell. Um, it's found, they found a way to take Tony Stark back to his basics. I know that's something that is kind of a cliche, but the way they do it, at least in the first couple, uh, trade paperbacks, it really, really works. Um, you mentioned Ram V mm. earlier, and I would definitely say you should check out the Many Deaths of Layla Star. Oh if God, you yeah, love a book with good art. Wow! Like if if you are like a primarily art person, and the art was really what drew you into Hawkeye, um, you should check this out. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's yeah. one of the most gorgeous comics I've yeah. read in a few years. Yeah, that that's uh, has some Eisner winners in its future. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, Kat, uh, where can people find you online, and what do you want to promote? Um, you can find Cat Overland online uh, at Dog Underwater, pretty much everywhere, um, but especially on Twitter. And uh, please read womanwriteaboutcomics.com. Uh, we put out regular criticism. We have won two Eisners, and we have a very hard working editorial staff <laughs> um, beyond just uh, we edit. So you should check us out. So Thank you. And Scott, what do you want to promote? Uh, Zebras in America podcast. We're on Twitter. 
We're on SoundCloud. We were taking a hiatus for a bit, but we hope to start production again very, very soon. You can find my music at scottthorough.com or scottthoroughbandcamp. Uh, I've been making music for 20 years, and if you choose to spend your time to check me out, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I respond to direct messages if you're polite. I don't know. I don't owe anybody anything except to to not be a shithead. Please be polite. Um, oh, my podcast just dropped a new episode for the new year. We're called Untitled Tall Geese Pod Podcast, but you can Google us because I can't think of our social handles off the top of my head. <laughs> They're all different. Well, I want to thank both of you so much for doing this with me, this great conversation. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And I want to thank Ilana and Graphic Policy for letting me jibber-jabber about Hawkeye. And I want to thank anyone who's listening for making it to the end with us. It was such a joy. Um, And as always, keep it geeky.